Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode 10 of Second Story Work, the novel. I'm Josh Sobalski, the author of Second Story Work. In last week's episode, we discovered that Hecky, Messy, Derek, and Arlov were really bad at business and really good at second story work. This week, we're going to be listening to chapter 26. I hope you enjoy it. Chapter 26, July 2009. The boys went downtown for dinner and a night on the town. After dinner, they went to a nightclub for VIP and bottle service. Hecky was throwing money around, and it was making the boys uncomfortable. He was putting a lot of eyes on them as they sat in their booth drinking Grey Goose. Moments later, eight girls joined them. The flashiness also caught the attention of some people they didn't want to be noticed by. The ROP. It was rare to see young men in a club throwing around money that didn't acquire it illegally. The boys were no different. The ROP saw through the charade. Hecky was talking to a girl at the booth when a member of the ROP sat down next to him. The man had sleeves of tattoos on both arms, a neck tattoo, and was disguising several tattoos under a black dress shirt. Hecky's body language changed within seconds of the man sitting beside him. He knew who the man was. Hecky slumped in his chair, and the expression on his face went from delighted to terrified. Messi and Derek locked eyes from across the bar, almost as if to say to one another, what do we do? Derek shook his head to say, let this happen. He hoped that a good scare would set Hecky straight. Arlov watched on from the distance as well. Derek couldn't make out what Hecky and the man were saying to one another, but he knew that the ROP member was trying to intimidate him, and it was working. The man stood to his feet, and lifted his shirt quickly. He had a gun hidden in his waistband. He backed up, pulled his shirt down, and walked to the exit with his crew. The boys walked over to Hecky. His pride was decimated. What was that? asked Arlov. They basically just robbed me, replied Hecky. He said that if he sees us out, he'll make us pay again. We have to pick up their check? asked Messi. Fucking cunts, yelled Hecky. What do you expect? They're gangsters. They aren't about being nice and charitable, said Derek. They take what they want. They don't ask. Anna held her morning coffee as she rode the elevator up to her fourth floor office. The door opened and Anna was greeted by a fellow officer. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, Brian. I think you're going to want to see last night's ROP footage. Anna followed Brian through the police station to a tech room. She sat down in a folding chair across from a desk. What am I looking at? asked Anna. You'll know when you see it, said Brian. Derek woke up at 11 a.m. He walked to the backyard. Heck, he was outside on his lawn chair, holding a coffee and a cigarette. Heck, why are you up so early? Heck, he shook his head. I was just thinking about how to get back at that piece of shit. Dude, you need to let this go. These aren't frat kids. These are ruthless, put you in the ground kind of guys. He disrespected me, Sarge. He disrespected all of us, Hecky. So what? Who fucking cares? I care, Sarge. Yeah, well, the rest of us don't. You want to be a respected corpse? Because that will happen. These guys are everywhere. As Hecky and Derek continued fighting, the doorbell rang. Derek answered the door to see Anna. She was not happy. Anna, hey, what's up? Were you out last night? She asked as she barged her way into the kitchen. I heard you met the ROP. Yeah, hey, said Hecky caught off guard as he walked in the house. 
We had a run-in with some pretty nasty characters. Riley, can I talk to Derek in private, please? Sure, replied Hecky. Derek knew he was in for it. Hecky walked up the stairs. Anna went off. Can you explain to me why you're in a club with a bunch of girls hanging off of you? I was out with the boys. Why are you spying on me? Spying on you? I have a team following the ROP. Imagine my surprise when I see my boyfriend in the club surrounded by skanks. I never touched any girls. Derek, I can't keep doing this. Whatever we have, whatever we are, it ends here. I don't want to see you again. And I especially don't want to see you associating with the ROP. Derek laughed. Is that what you think that was? What would you call it, Derek? They threatened Hecky into paying their tab. If that's associating? Anyway, you know what? You got me so wrong, Anna, but that's fine. I don't need jealous and insecure people in my life. Anna walked to the front door and slammed it shut. A second later, Hecky came charging down the stairs. You all right, Sarge? I'm fine, Derek replied. Did you hear that? Hecky nodded his head, and Derek continued. So you know that they're untouchable right now. Your little revenge plot, that ends here. October 5th, 2009. Derek yelled into his phone. Hecky, it's our house. What? Who would be in our house? Asked Hecky on the other end of the line. I don't know. Okay, Sarge, I'm just rolling into town now. When I hear something, you will too. Get back here ASAP. Okay, we will. Derek, do we have anything there that'll jam us up? Asked Hecky. Not unless you or Messi do. It's fine on my end, Hecky answered. Okay, we'll leave in an hour. A cold shiver ran down Derek's spine. He knew they were in trouble. Messi looked over at him and took a deep breath. He knew too. They scrambled to pack their bags as quickly as they could. Mandy was dumbfounded by what had just happened. What's going on? She asked. Derek knew that he needed to feed her a line. Something happened on our street. Derek took another deep breath. I guess I'll call you in the next couple days. We have to get out of here. Okay, Derek. But what happened? Someone was murdered in our neighborhood. Oh my God, Derek. Yeah. He took another deep breath. It's fucking awful. I'm really sorry, Mandy. Okay. It's okay, Derek. Derek and Mandy kissed and she walked out of the room to her car. Derek loaded the last of the bags into their vehicle. He looked over at Mandy, who had yet to leave. She looked back and asked, What's wrong? Messi came storming out of the motel room and slammed the door behind him. Mandy looked at Messi and looked back at Derek. She asked again, What's wrong? It was our house, said Derek. Oh my God, Derek. That's so horrible. Was it someone you knew? I have no idea, Mandy. Our roommate knew nothing, so I don't know anything. Derek tried to keep it together. Can you call me, please, when you get a chance? I want to make sure everything's okay. I will, replied Derek, as he walked over and gave her a kiss. He let her go and whispered in her ear, I'll miss you. Mandy smiled as Derek stepped back and walked to his car. Messi and Derek didn't speak until they hit Kamloops, and even then, they didn't say more than a few words. Derek went over different scenarios as to what might have happened in their home. He called Arlov every hour on the hour. No answer. Derek wondered about his involvement. Arlov hadn't been well. He hadn't been okay with the work they'd be doing. And he needed out. Derek wondered, what happened in that house? August 2009. Hecky was still steaming from the ROP incident at the club. He'd gone off the rails 
and insisted that the boys make a deal with Maddie to traffic cocaine across the border. Hecky was buying weed for pennies on the dollar and wanted to trade it for cocaine. Every five-key run would net them $150,000. Derek's greed began to get the best of him. Fuck five keys, he thought. If he was going to do it, he'd do 15 keys. He knew it would be the same sentence for five or 15. Might as well make it worth their while. Derek also knew that five runs multiplied by 450K worked out to 2.25 million. Each one of them would walk away with over 550 grand and bring their total to just shy of a million dollars. Hecky and Derek convinced the boys that they would have enough money to finally focus on making the truck a legitimate business. The plan was to pack the weed in duffel bags, drive to Zero Avenue in Abbotsford, and toss the bags into the waiting vehicle in America. Down the road, another man would toss a duffel bag into Hecky's van. They would press on without slowing down. It was low-tech and high-risk. Using Hecky's van meant exposing them to a risk if someone caught a glimpse. They needed a truck. Nothing fancy, just a truck. They also had to move fast. Doing these drops was risky. It was only a matter of time before someone spotted them making an exchange. Hecky and Maddie had an agreement. For two weeks, the boys would supply wholesale cocaine to George in exchange for $2.25 million. If they were caught, they were looking at a decade in prison. If not, they'd be set for life. The plan was in place. They just needed Arlov and Messi on board. Hecky decided that the best thing to do would be to take the boys to Zero Avenue to see what the plan really was. They piled into the edge and drove to Abbotsford to see a home that was for sale. Derek and Hecky feigned interest in the property. But in all that seclusion, they were really there to talk Messi and Arlov into becoming international drug smugglers. Messi was curious as to why the boys were out in the valley. It was then that Hecky began his elaborate pitch. He pointed to the two roads running parallel to one another. One road was on the American side of the border, the other was on the Canadian side. The two roads were separated by a grass median, no wider than 10 feet. Boys, you see that road over there that's going the other way? That's the United States of America. Where's the goddamn border? asked Messi, puzzled. This is the border. That median is the border. If that's the US, what's to stop us from crossing? asked Hecky. I'm sure they have shit in place, said Arlov. Like geothermal or something? Should we find out? asked Hecky. He began to walk across Zero Avenue into the States, and he stood on the U.S. side. He waited a few moments before he sat down on the ground. Big fucking response, eh, boys? He yelled from the American side. The boys continued to wait. They waited, and they waited. Finally, after a half an hour, Hecky walked back into Canada. What the fuck? asked Arlov. That is frightening. Yeah, really, said Messi. Is this where you did that? Boys, I drove this road and threw a bag of weed into the US and had a bag of Charlie tossed into my van. You're out of your goddamn mind, said Arlov. Bullshit, said Messi. Hecky, do you know what the Afghans went through to get their product to the US? You're going to tell me that dummies like us can walk it across. I'm not fucking buying it. Boys, I did it, said Hecky, emphatically. Why? asked Arlov. For 300 Gs. That's why. That's fucked, said Arlov. That is end up with gangs and cartels after you kind of shit. Arlov, do you think I want any of this? asked Hecky. You do, replied Arlov. And it looks like Sarge does too. 
Whoa, whoa. I'm just intrigued, replied Derek as he threw his hands in the air. You might be intrigued, Sarge, but I think we're staring into the abyss and we're best to back away. Arlov, we have a chance to make $2.25 million in two weeks. Five trips. All we do are five trips. We rent a truck with two of us in the front, two in the back, two guys toss the weed into a waiting car on the American side, and then we catch the Coke when it gets tossed back. We never stop. We never slow down. We just drive and throw. You saw the response. It's open season out here. Hecky let everything breathe before he finished off. Look around. Just look around, boys. Why isn't everyone doing this? Asked Arlov. As he finished his sentence, a helicopter flew over the boy's head and dropped a large crate onto the ground in the United States. Hecky turned and looked at them. He gave the boys the night to decide if they were in or out. Derek didn't sleep a wink. A part of him was hoping that the boys would say no and he could just press on with the food truck. But the greedy part of him was hoping that one of them would say yes. He crawled out of bed at 6 a.m. and walked downstairs. Messi and Arlov were sitting at the table chatting. You guys couldn't sleep? Derek asked. Nope, Arlov replied while Messi shook his head. It's kind of frightening that heck he's up there sawing like a chainsaw. Nothing seems to rattle him these days, Messi stated. What do you really think, Sarge? Is this possible? Arlov asked. I don't know, man. That's for you to decide, said Derek, pouring himself a cup of coffee. To me, half a million bucks is a lot of money. Is it worth 10 plus years in jail? Maybe. I'm not sure. That's not an answer, Sarge. I don't have an answer, Messi. I really don't. I can't tell you what you want to hear. The truth is that I'm scared of the consequences of this. I'm scared of jail. I'm scared of being killed. But I'm also excited by the possibilities. We could be completely free of all of this. Free of having to work jobs we hate. Free from relying on others. So do I want the money? Yeah, you're goddamn right I do. Messi nodded his head. I'm in. Fucking A, exclaimed Derek as he and Messi high-fived. They both looked at our love. His morality was getting the best of him. I don't know. I really don't want to be in on this. We need four, our love, said Derek. We need your help. Arlov took a deep breath. We've been doing everything to keep the bullets out of the gun. And now he comes in double-barreled and points both guns right at us. Hecky walked into the kitchen. Any of you guys sleep? Nope, replied Derek. You sure did, though. Did you guys figure out what you want to do? Asked Hecky. Derek pointed to Messi and himself. We're in. Arlov's on the fence. What's your hang-up, Arlov? Uh, getting caught, getting killed, getting too deep into this whole thing and not being able to get out. And that's just off the top of my head. Hecky took in the information. Okay. I can't force you. If you don't want in, then you don't want in. Don't do it. We need a fourth, said Messi. We'll find one. And while we look, Arlov can keep thinking about it. After the meeting, Derek walked upstairs to his room. Hecky met him at his door. We're not looking for anyone else, Sarge. No? Asked Derek. No. It's either him or it's no one. That evening, the boys convened in the backyard at 9 p.m., Hecky had some maps and documents spread out on a table. He was detailing the moving parts of the plan. After he outlined the details, he would shred the document and toss it in a fire pit. Near the end of their meeting, Arlov opened the back door and saw the boys sitting on the couches. Hey, fellas, said Arlov. What's up? asked Hecky. You guys busy? Just working, replied Hecky. Do you want in on this here? Five times? 
Arlo asked, holding up five fingers. Five times. Fourteen days. Arlo walked outside and closed the door behind him. The next morning, the boys took a drive down Zero Avenue to get a lay of the land in the daytime. Hecky explained the landmarks that the boys needed to look for in order to know when to toss the bags. The plan required pinpoint accuracy and precise timing. They wouldn't squeak by being sloppy. They needed to be spot on. Derek didn't understand how the U.S. didn't have a patrol or sensors protecting the border. Hecky explained that they have sensors for people crossing the border, but they mostly caught hikers who accidentally crossed. The following day, the boys prepped for their first run. Messi and Derek bagged up the weed and left it in the garage. They began the drive to Abbotsford at 7 p.m. that evening. Hecky drove with Arlov riding shotgun. Messi and Derek lay in the back of the truck. The drive lasted around an hour, and it was pretty rough on Derek's back. Hecky pulled onto Zero Avenue and let the boys know that they could get ready to throw the bags. Derek stood up, and across the way he saw a truck driving towards them. It was on the American side. He and Messi steadied themselves and prepared to throw the bags. As the truck approached, they slowed to 35 kilometers an hour. Derek tossed the first bag over the border and the man on the other side made the catch. Messi then made two perfect throws in a row. Derek had to complete the last one. He rifled the bag as hard as he could and watched it come up short. The man on the other side reached out and grabbed the bag by a strap. He yanked the bag into the cab and both trucks sped off. Hecky drove a kilometer down the road. The boys received four duffel bags full of cocaine. Hecky hit the gas while Messi and Derek tucked the bags away and hid. Derek's heart was racing, his pulse pounding, his head spinning. He almost blew it. Despite his air, they had made their first exchange. An hour later, Hecky pulled into the garage and they dumped the duffel bags into switch bags. Hecky and Derek prepared to meet with Maddie and George. What if these guys jack you? Arlov questioned them. What? replied Derek. Like what if they want to keep the coke and the money and they decide to take both? We got it covered, said Hecky. What does that mean? asked Arlov. It means we can handle ourselves, Hecky answered. Are you guys strapped or something? joked Messi. Derek turned and sternly replied. We'll be back in an hour. Hecky and Derek jumped in Hecky's Windstar and drove to their 9 p.m. meeting. They pulled into the parking lot and parked beside Maddie and George. Derek jumped out of the van and Maddie jumped out of the other vehicle. They shook hands between the two vehicles. Maddie handed Derek a cigarette. They smoked and began talking. Their positioning was by design. They stood, blocking the view of any nearby patrons, ensuring that no one would see George and Hecky passing bags back and forth. After the exchange, Maddie and Derek continued to chat and walked into the cafe. They ordered coffee and walked out to the parking lot to smoke another cigarette. After their smoke, they jumped into their vehicles and took off. Hecky and Derek drove to a storage unit and dropped the money off before heading back to the house. In the midst of all these crazy things, they were still moving. Between the food truck, packing boxes, and the bags of weed, they were spinning a pile of plates. Two days after the first drop, the boys made a second drop. This time, Derek made the throw with a little extra mustard on it. The next day, they made a third exchange. Three days after that, a fourth. Between drops four and five, they had to move to their new house. The best part of their move was that they'd be out of their current house, which had become a hot place. Hecky hired movers to allow the boys to focus on their last drop. They packed their belongings, 
and were ready to go the morning of the move. That day, they went for breakfast at the Brentwood Mall. The restaurant sat up on a hill and had a beautiful view of Burnaby below. The boys sat in a booth next to the window that ran parallel to the front of the mall. They ordered breakfast and sat quietly enjoying their coffee. Derek was happy to be moving to a place where no one knew them. It was a blank slate, exactly what they needed. Derek looked out over the jam-packed parking lot and noticed a white early 2000s model Ford Explorer parked just down the hill. It appeared to be occupied by at least four people, all of whom looked to be male. Derek saw a commotion in the back seat. He turned his attention back to the boys who were talking about the house. He stopped the conversation. Hecky, do you see that white Explorer down the hill? Hecky glanced quickly at the vehicle and looked back at Derek and nodded. You think they're here for us? Were we followed? Who is that? Asked Messi. I don't know, dude. George's competition, maybe? Derek took another subtle look. If they drive towards us, hit the fucking floor. The boys nodded in agreement. A waitress stopped at their table to top up their coffees. Derek kept an eye on the SUV. It began to move towards them. The driver navigated around a block of parked cars and pulled out onto the street that ran parallel to the restaurant. The SUV stopped in front of the restaurant and the windows rolled down. Derek and the boys hit the floor as the shooting started. Pop, 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 pop. The sound of automatic gunfire echoed outside the window as bullets and shattered glass rained down on the booth. They were under attack. The shooting subsided quickly and the sound of squealing tires could be heard as the SUV peeled away. Patrons of the restaurant were screaming and yelling. Fortunately, no one was hurt. Messi had taken the waitress to the floor. Even she managed to avoid the hail of bullets. Derek knew the boys were the marks of these not-so-marksmen. Other than the cut on Arlo's face and shards of glass in Derek's arm, they were intact. The police and paramedics were on the scene before Derek had even stood to his feet. A young male paramedic rushed over to Arlov and began attending to his cuts. The police started investigating the incident, focusing primarily on the boys' booth. Derek could see an older police detective asking patrons questions. All fingers pointed directly at the boys. The older detective looked at them, pulled out his pen and paper, and approached Derek. He flashed his badge and introduced himself as Detective Ryan. He was about 6'4", 220, with a gray goatee and a crew cut. He was dressed in a knee-length pea coat, shirt, and tie. What were you boys doing here this morning? He asked. Having breakfast, replied Derek, as he pulled glass from his forearm. You fellas from town here? Ontario. Arlo's from Manitoba. Detective Ryan went from pleasantries to the unexpected. Do you guys have any gang ties? He asked bluntly. I'm sorry, said Derek. The boys began to snicker. Sir, we run a food truck. Derek's answer puzzled Detective Ryan. You run a food truck. Eat it and beat it, answered Messi. Oh, I've eaten there before. Your sandwiches are great. Thank you, Derek smiled. So why eat here today? He asked. We're moving to Point Grey, Derek responded. Business must be good, said Ryan as he nodded his head. Do you have any idea why someone would be shooting at you? Mistaken identity? I really don't know, replied Derek. Are you sure they were shooting at us? Asked Hacky. Well, if you were sitting here, then yes said Ryan as he pointed to the booth. The gunfire is obviously concentrated to this area. Just when Derek thought things couldn't get any worse, Anna walked into the restaurant. Jesus Christ, are you guys okay? Yeah, we're fine, Anna, Derek replied. You know them? asked Detective Ryan. Yeah, answered Anna. Ryan looked at Anna and backed away from the boys. 
I'll be back, fellas. Ryan walked away and began to talk with other officers on the scene. Anna turned to Derek and began to freak out. I knew you four were into something, and now here we are. Whoa, whoa, Derek feigned surprise. Don't play dumb, said Anna, pointing her finger into Derek's chest. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know if you did something to somebody or for somebody, but I suggest you blow town. Anna, the only thing we're into is the mobile food business. Why would we risk? I don't know, Derek. Maybe your restaurant isn't all that you're making it out to be. Someone wants you and your friends dead, so I'd think long and hard for the reason why. Afterward, Hecky drove the boys to the old house. It had already been emptied and the trucks were gone. Messy and Derek jumped into the edge. Derek drove them to Point Grey. He doubled back several times to avoid being followed. They arrived at the new house, exited their vehicles, and had a quick chat on the front lawn. Derek started. We have to assume they've got eyes on us all the time. Every trip home is going to require doubling back multiple times. Any thought of who put the bullseye on our backs? Asked Messi. George? Arlov speculated. No, said Hecky. Why would he do that? We haven't fulfilled our deal. One trip left. We're at loose end after that, suggested Messi. Yeah, I don't see it, said Derek. So if it wasn't George, then who shot at us today? Hecky asked the boys. I only saw shadows. Windows were way too tinted, Derek replied. No one knows? Hecky put the question to the group again. The ROP? Messi answered. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would think, said Arlov. It would make sense. We had the run-in at the club. You know what happened to that other member? We're wholesaling to their competition. What can we do about it? Asked Hecky. Didn't Anna say they had heat on them? She did, Derek replied. But how hard is it to cut out on that shit? Well, surely they're well-practiced in the art of ditching a tail, said Hecky. Guys, we need to make a point of not going out alone, Arliff suggested. We need a buddy system. Two days after the shooting, the boys packed up the truck for one last drop. Derek's biggest fear was getting so close to being done and then having it all taken away. They were almost through the craziness, and that scared the shit out of him. The drive from Point Grey to Abbotsford was a little longer than what the boys were used to. The extra 40 minutes took their toll on Derek's back. Messi could see him wincing in pain as he tried to shuffle his body into a more comfortable position. He settled on his side and felt okay. Hecky drove down a straight stretch and Derek could feel them getting close to the drop spot. A few moments later, Hecky began cursing up front. The back window of the truck opened and Hecky began to speak. Don't move, boys. We got a cop riding our ass. Lose him, shouted Messi. The guys on the other side are going to toss the shit. I know, but I can't floor it. We'll get pulled over replied Hecky. Slow down, said Messi. Slow right the fuck down. They'll pass. That'll seem suspicious, yelled Hecky. Nah, everyone slows down when they see a cop. Hecky gently applied the brakes. The boys waited. It was boom or bust. He's not passing, yelled Hecky. Give it time, yelled Derek. After a few seconds, Derek could hear the roar of the police car engine as it passed by. Hecky yelled back to Messi. Nice job. I'll let them get way ahead. The cops ripped up the highway and were well in front of the boys by the time Derek threw the tarp off and stood to one knee. As he tried to get to his feet, he felt an immense amount of pain shoot from his back into his leg. He had pinched a nerve. Jesus, he screamed in agony. What happened? Asked Messi. My back. I can't stand. Fuck. Messi reached for both bags while Derek lay back down on the driver's side of the truck bed. 
He watched from below as Messi tossed the bags. Messi fist pumped and waited for the return bags. Seconds later, he began catching them and dropping them at Derek's feet. He caught the last bag, lay down, and pulled the tarp over top of both of them. Hospital, yelled Derek. The boys drove back to the house and left the bags for the drop with Maddie later that night. Messi and Arlov stayed at home and waited while Hecky drove Derek to the hospital. He helped Derek into the emergency room and sat him in a chair. Over the next four hours, Hecky and Derek sat in the ER, waiting and watching, waiting for a doctor and watching other patients puking up their lunch. After all the waiting, Derek was finally looked at. The doctor ran reflex tests as well as tests on Derek's rectum. They sent him for an x-ray. After that was complete, the doctor loaded Derek up with painkillers and sent him home. He was happy to be high. It helped him forget that he was in agony. Hecky drove to the pharmacy and eventually back to the house. The boys walked inside. It was eerily quiet. Hecky moved much quicker than Derek as he walked through the house looking for the boys. He walked into the living room and cursed. Fuck! Derek followed him into the living room and noticed five very large intimidating men pointing guns at Messi and Arlov. It was the devil's grip, and the boys were in trouble. October 5th, 2009. Messi and Derek dropped the money and guns at their new storage unit and drove to the house. They now had two different storage units, full of enough evidence to send them to jail for more years than any criminal would care for. They pulled onto the street at about 7 p.m. A dozen or so police cars greeted them. Derek parked a good distance from the house. As they climbed out of their vehicle, Derek could see Hecky's van in his peripheral. Hecky had already arrived. Messi and Derek continued to walk towards the house. Hecky walked up from behind them. Let's get on the same page, boys. Talk to me, said Derek. Hard to make a plan when we don't know what happened in there. We can't just feed them bunk. You think Arlov set us up? Asked Derek. Would he off someone and breeze with the case, though? No shot, said Hecky. No one is touching that unit. He'd be drifting off with fuck all. Let's just tell the truth, said Derek as he stopped walking. Hecky, you were in Squamish. Messi and I went to Canmore. And Arlov was in Winnipeg. Problem solved, no? Why would we go home and you guys go to Canmore? Asked Messi. Yeah, I feel like these guys will give us the third all day, said Messi. Just say we went to Canmore because we hate going home, Derek suggested. We hate it, reiterated Messi. Okay, fine. Let's go see what happened. Hecky led the charge. The boys approached the house. It was surrounded with yellow police tape and curious onlookers. Hecky was the first to approach the officer who was securing the entrance to the house. Excuse me, who should I speak with about what happened here? What's the matter to you, kid? Asked the officer. Well, Hecky turned back and pointed at Derek and Messy. The three of us live here. Oh shit, sorry. The officer stood up, looked the boys up and down and grabbed his radio. Give me a minute to call someone. Did someone break into the house? Asked Hecky. No, kid. Do you think all this chaos would go on for a B&E? Oh, replied Hecky as he feigned his surprise. Did somebody die? Look, replied the officer. The detective will be here any second and he'll fill you in on what happened. A few seconds later, an older man dressed in a suit came running over to the boys. He introduced himself as Detective Gagasian. He was a heavy set man, 6'1 and close to 300 pounds. Gentlemen, if you don't mind, can you show me some ID just so I can verify that this is your residence? Sure, replied Derek. The boys reached for their wallets and handed over their driver's license. Gagasian studied them 
and handed all three IDs back to the boys. Let's go around back and talk, okay guys? Gagasian gestured to the backyard. The boys followed the detective and they sat down at their patio table next to the pool. What can you tell me about this man? Asked Gagasian as he slid Arlov's driver's license across the table. Fuck! Screamed Hecky. That's Arlov, replied Derek. Is he inside? Hecky asked. I'm afraid so, guys. Messi and Derek put their heads into their hands as they tried to process the news. Why was Arlov even here? That wasn't the plan. Derek ran a million scenarios through his head as he ran his hands through his hair and took a deep breath. He was fighting back tears. Do you have any idea who did this? He asked. I'm afraid not. Whoever did this got away clean, which is why I'd like to talk to you. Did your friend have any enemies or anyone that would want to hurt him? No, sir, said Derek. Gagasian grinned. You can cut the shit. I know that you guys were targeted in Brentwood, but I don't know why. Hecky stood up. I'll give you one. A few months back, we were out at a club, throwing some money around, having a good time. Anyways, the ROP didn't like it, so they approached our booth. They threatened us and they made us pay off their tab. So hold on, said Gagasian. They want you dead because they threatened you into paying a bar tab and then you paid it? Can I finish? Asked Hecky as he held up a single finger. Gagasian nodded his head. A week later, I was out and I saw one of them walk into a convenience store. When he walked out, I played the knockout game. You hit him? Asked Gagasian. I didn't hit him. I floored him. Is that so wrong? They humiliated us. Well, kid, you got some balls. I'll give you that, said Gagasian. You might have gotten your friend killed, though. These guys don't go anywhere alone. Chances are that guy probably had a lookout. Hecky's story was bullshit, but it was brilliant. It was good cover for what had really happened. The grip had killed Arlov. They'd taken the tax money and shot him anyways. The boys had a war on their hands, and Derek vowed that he wouldn't be caught off guard again. Gagasian went through the details of Arlov's murder. The house had been ransacked. Whoever was in the home was looking for money, product, or both. They'd taken some of the more high-end items. Gagasian then went into detail about how Arlov had been killed. He'd been tied to a chair and tortured with a soldering iron for at least a day before he had his throat slit. Immense guilt and sorrow hammered through Derek. Arlov wanted no part of this, but he'd let Derek and Hecky talk him into it. That's it for episode 10 of Second Story Work, the novel. I'm Josh Sobalski. If you like my work, please give me a follow on Facebook and Instagram. That's at author Josh Sobalski. I'm also on Twitter at author J Sobalski. Finally, I do host a podcast with my good friend Corey Leckie called Second Story. It's not tied into the book, but I still think it's something that you'd enjoy. Give it a listen. We're on all the major platforms. See you next week.